Well, Justice Minister Kerry Allen has confirmed uh, at the weekend on News Hub Nation, and for those of us in the media, that's the time you release something that you're not that keen on doing or you want minimal attention to, Saturday morning. Uh, but the statement was that the only proposal for new hate speech laws, which will be enacted from last year's proposal consultation, is the inclusion of religion as a protected class, which is it's a major backdown from the intention to expand penalties significantly for hate speech from three months in prison to three years and a fine uh, that was going up from 7,000 to 50,000 and a host of new protected groups, including an incitement to discrimination. Uh, joining me is Professor Paul Moon from AUT and an expert in this area, spoke at our forum on the family a couple of years ago. Paul, welcome to the program. Uh, was this a major back down for the government? It's hard to overstate how big this back, back down is really because the original intention arising from the uh, commission that was held after the, the Christchurch terror attacks, um, the, the recommendation of the commission of inquiry there was that certain sorts of speech be criminalised. So this would involve the Crimes Act being added to. What we've got now is all of that's been dropped and we've got one relatively minor change to the, or it's proposed relatively minor change to the Human Rights Act. So it's, it's a major step down from what was originally in, uh, suggested. Okay, so for um, people who aren't sort of up to speed with this at the moment, hate speech laws targets discrimination on the basis of race, ethnicity, or national origin. So basically racial. Uh, so what effect will adding this category of religion have? Well, the first point to make is that the that when we're talking about hate speech, it's a very difficult concept to define. Hmm. Um, this is one of the problems that the previous Justice Minister and the Prime Minister had when they were questioned on it. And I think the Prime Minister responded, um, she didn't know what hate speech was, but she'll know when she sees it. Um, and that's that's a, and that, that really encapsulates how difficult it is. There's no jurisdiction on earth that's come up with a clear legal definition of hate speech. And the problem with that is that if you put it into the Crimes Act and make it a crime, You've got a crime for which you've got no clear definition as to what the threshold is. So, for example, if I say to you, you shouldn't steal, you know very clearly what that is. So if the law says you can't steal, you know every morning, am I going to take someone else's bicycle? No, because that's theft. You know what the threshold is for that. Mm. But when it comes to speech, how, do you, how can you possibly know what constitutes uh, hate speech or, or fear analysis or fear comment? There's no distinction. So the Prime Minister was right in that sense that you can't define it. Um, but it's not good enough to wait until you're actually in the dock and the for a criminal conviction potentially to only find out at that point ah this is what hate speech is it's it's far too subjective so what they've done really is is abandon that idea of criminalizing speech and put this in the category of human rights okay so they're talking about just religion but it seems a little bit i smell something here because the government recently repealed the anti-blasphemy law that Andrew Little said was medieval, archaic and unjust. And, unjust. Uh, and he also repealed a law that prohibits uh, the publication of material that insults Christianity. Well, you know, that's okay. God can defend himself. But interestingly, Andrew Little said that, look, it's got no place in modern society which protects freedom of expression. Uh, and so the anti-blasphemy law was out of place with New Zealand's position as a bastion of human rights, including recognizing freedom of expression and religious tolerance for all faiths. Now, 
Paul, there seems to be some contradiction going on here because they've just passed a law saying it's okay to blaspheme, but then they're saying, well, they want tolerance for all faiths. So if they're putting religion into this new hate speech law, which religion are they talking about? It's a challenging one. Um, firstly, on, on the issue of blasphemy, my, my personal view is it was a good idea to remove legislation prohibiting blasphemy because if that's the only thing that's preventing you from blaspheming, then you don't get the concept of blasphemy to start off with. And this applies to all religions, that it's not a legislative ban, it's actually something much more serious. Um, in this case, though, I, I think the, the removal of, of things like blasphemy was designed to allow for free speech. Mm. Um, it was a law that really wasn't... Um, enforced anyway. So it's one of those things more honoured in the breach than the observance, as they say. So removing it was no no great change to anything. What we're looking at now, though, in terms of religion being included as one of those areas of discrimination is about bringing it into contempt. And this is where it gets interesting, because you ask the question, which religion? Mm. Are we allowed to, or are we going to be prohibited from bringing any religions into contempt? Mm. And what's interesting is that this, remember, derives from the Royal Commission report. And that report referred to the religion of ethnic minorities, which required protection. Now, that's highly problematic, that statement, because it's, it's assuming if you belong to a particular ethnic minority, you must adhere to a particular religion. And that's a, a terrible racial stereotype mm. because the fact is that people from all sorts of ethnic groups adhere to all sorts of religions or none and we've got to accept that diversity but the idea that if you belong to this ethnic group you must therefore belong to this religion I think is is is, is highly generalizing and that's mm. putting it mildly but they want to protect the religion of ethnic minorities and that was the second problem with the Royal Commission's report is why don't you protect all people's religions? Why only those of ethnic minorities? So there were problems with that as well. So what it looks like the government's done is said, we're going to have a blanket protection for all religions. How this plays out, though, is quite different. This is the key thing, that we can have these things written in statute, but their enactment is, is, is another matter altogether. And actually, even amongst Christianity, there's a huge uh, diversity of ethnicities attending church on uh, Sundays and, uh, you know, part of church families, isn't there? Huge growth. That's it. And, and, and that's why the Royal Commission's recommendations really wouldn't stack up. They'd be confronted with precisely that issue, mm. that you know, Christianity in New Zealand is, is extremely multicultural and extremely diverse. Mm. So it's a problem. Okay, so the most put out by the announcement uh, at the weekend was LGBT groups um, because they felt they needed special protection. And the Human Rights Commission said at the weekend, quote, the commission wanted these protections extended to other groups who are vulnerable to harmful speech, such as women, please define a woman, uh, disabled people and the rainbow community, end quote. Um, although interestingly, they say such as, which means these are just examples. So... Uh, Paul, is this issue over or is there more to come? Because you've got some strong lobby groups there. Um, well, I think what, what's happened is the government has decided we're, within 12 months of an election, the, <laughs> the feedback they got from the initial hate speech proposals was so horrific that they've backtracked enormously. And in this case, I think what they're deciding is we're going to leave this. So they've referred these issues to the Law Commission to deal with. And that means several months or potentially years of deliberation 
um, certainly after any election. So we're doing something, but we're going to do something that will take years to achieve. So I think this is really just a token change so that the government can say, well, look, we did do something. We made some moves when it comes to so-called hate speech, but substantively there's next to no change whatsoever. Well, that's what I was going to ask you next was, have they acted pragmatically because they've listened to the electorate or have they acted with principle? They genuinely believe in free speech. Um, <laughs> maybe a, a bit, too, bit too cynical, but I think almost all governments operate on, on pragmatism. Yeah. They have to because that's, that's the lifeblood for being a government rather than being an opposition. So you, you operate with maximum pragmatism. Um, free speech issues collide at certain points and you have this this challenge now of can we tolerate views that are intolerant that's mm. Karl Popper's famous paradox if we're going to be a tolerant society does that mean tolerating views that are intolerant mm. and that's a very difficult di dilemma for for governments to work out so it's better just to leave that to one side which is effectively what they've done now there's also concerns that well they may have put this aside but hate speech laws could be put through via anti-terrorism type laws or laws around myths and disinformation as all the government funded TV documentaries seem to be pushing. Is that a possibility? I think it's highly unlikely now because given the scale of opposition that they received when they originally announced hate speech legislation, it's highly unlikely that they're going to revisit that in the form they initially planned. Disinformation is quite problematic because that has all the echoes of a, a one-party view of things that you know, this is information, this is disinformation. Um, you really ought to be able to trust people to make up their minds for themselves. And probably none of us are going to get it right all of the time. No. We're all going to fall into a hole of getting interpretations wrong or receiving information that sounds attractive but is false. But that's the nature of us as humans. And the idea that there's there's someone who's smarter than all of us, the collective five million, there's someone who's smart who can determine what is and isn't disinformation is problematic. And it's not just an ideological issue, it's a purely practical one. There's no way that anyone can sift through all the information. There's not even a single frame of understanding certain issues. So the idea that you can simply say, this is right, this is wrong, this is disinformation, this is correct, it, it falls at a whole lot of hurdles, evidentiary hurdles, conceptual hurdles, philosophical hurdles, and so on. Uh, just finally, um, Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, at her recent UN speech, um, said that speech was a new weapon of war. I just want to show uh, two short clips from that. Let's just watch that. After all, the face of war has changed. And with that, the weapons used. The tools used to challenge the statehood of others are hidden and more complex. Traditional combat, espionage, and the threat of nuclear weapons are now accompanied by cyber attacks, prolific disinformation, and manipulation of whole communities and societies. As leaders, we're rightly concerned that even the most light-touch approaches to disinformation could be misinterpreted as being hostile to the values of free speech that we value so highly. But while I cannot tell you today what the answer is to this challenge, I can say with complete certainty that we cannot ignore it. To do so poses an equal threat to the norms we all value. After all, how do you successfully end a war if people are led to believe the reason for its existence is not only legal but noble? How do you tackle climate change if people do not believe it exists? How do you ensure the human rights of others are upheld when they are subjected to hateful and dangerous rhetoric and ideology? 
The weapons may be different, but the goals of those who perpetuate them is often the same, to cause chaos and reduce the ability of others to defend themselves, to disband communities, to collapse the collective strength of countries who work together. But we have an opportunity here to ensure that these particular weapons of war do not become an established part of warfare. So, Paul, it seems the ideology of the left um, being against free speech that some may disagree with will never go away. It seems embedded in the, uh, in the ideology and that speech is now a weapon. Um, is it correct for people to be concerned about what she said at that UN speech? I think to, to an extent that she's correct in that speech can be a weapon, and it's certainly been used as, as a weapon of war. Um, the whole basis of propaganda is that. It's manipulating speech to achieve political outcomes. Um, but again, it goes to the issue of who decides what speech we can and can't hear. And the UN Declaration on Human Rights is very clear. It's explicit about this, that we have an absolute right to receive information and to share information. Once you turn the tap off and say, well, no, we're not going to allow that flow of information anymore, then you have a whole lot of unexpected consequences. The other thing too is it's very easy for politicians to say we need an ideal world where we only have nice things said about each other but the fact of the matter is that we live in the internet age so almost all the censorship is gone we can pretend that we're not going to look at this or read that but in actual fact people are reading and looking at all sorts of horrific things so the answer is not to ban it because it's 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 rather like trying to stop the tide you, you can pontificate all you want about the tide it's going to keep going in and out the idea is to hopefully get people more educated and get people more aware of what the issues are rather than simply putting prohibitions in place because historically there's there's no example i think anywhere ever where prohibitions have lasted and prove proven effective so just finally it seems like a win from the weekend um do we need to keep watching this space what's your recommendation if we value just the right to have exchanges like this we always have to be vigilant because the orientation of all governments it's not a political left or right issue, it's all governments are oriented towards greater and greater control. And this has been something that philosophers have talked about for at least 2,000 years, that governments tend towards autocracy. And, and our obligation is to encourage democracy. Mm. And the way we do that is by keep pressing against any moves to take away individual freedoms. Uh, Professor Paul Moon, really appreciate your time. We, um, uh, people can read our fact sheet on our website, hatespeech.nz, and uh, also on the Family First website. We've got some great articles from Professor Paul Moon, and you can see his presentation at the forum. Paul, thanks for your time. Thank you.